So excited to uh, be here for week number six of our series, This Is Us. We've been working through our core mission, vision, values, and activities as a church. And over the last five weeks, we've gone through our core doctrine, the, the, really the doctrine that we would hold in our closed hand, uh, the doctrine that really forms us as a community, really makes sure to uh, kind of put the fences up, so to speak, when it comes to who we are as a church. And so I uh, really would encourage you to go back through and listen to the last five weeks, whether it's on podcasts. Um, or it's on uh, the web just to go look through that and, and hear through that and consider all the aspects that we're going through that. But um, today we're going through some, uh, the, today and the next couple weeks, we're going to be going through our core values and activities that we do as a church uh, so, that we can, so that we can allow that doctrine to inform the way uh, we do uh, church and the way we live life uh, as well. So if you want to grab your Bibles, you have, you have a Bible on your seat or a Bible on your phone, go to Acts chapter 2. Uh, which is page number 906. Uh, go to page number 906. Um, we're going to be in Acts 2, so go on your phone or uh, go uh, there. We're going to be in this text the next three weeks. Um, and really, this, this text here informs all we do uh, as a church. There's uh, different elements of this that uh, really just that shape us and, and move us. So uh, we're going to be considering, uh, considering this the next few weeks. Um, but Acts chapter 2, page number 906. And of course, as always, if you are here for the first time, or maybe perhaps you don't own a Bible, um, that is our gift to you. Um, go ahead and take that. I would love for you to take that and consider it um, and read it as much as you can. So, hey, so I've been doing full-time ministry now for almost, uh, for just about 10 years, and I've been following Jesus for as long as I can remember. Um, you know what? I've never had anyone say to me, and when I sit down with them over coffee or talk, begin talking to people about their walk with the Lord, I've never sat down and had them say to me, you know, this whole like following Jesus thing, killing it, crushing it, man, like awesome at it, like so good at it, everything is in perfect place, like everything is, like you just feel like everything's in place and I'm growing with the Lord and I can hear him talking to me and I, and I really like, I just, when I go to work, I can, you know, I just like throw a little Caleb on, everything's good, you know, everything's good, I just feel like I'm crushing my walk with the Lord right now. Um, and uh, perhaps if you're anything like me, you've just struggled with that at different times. But here's what I have heard people say. You know, I just, I just don't feel like the Lord is close at this time. Um, I just don't feel like I'm, uh, you know, I just don't feel like I know how to get closer to him. I don't feel like he's talking. I feel like he's absent. I don't know why he did this. I don't know why he did that. So often times I hear, I never hear just, oh, yeah, you know, I feel like, feel like I'm doing everything right. I uh, often hear yeah, you know, I'm struggling a bit. I, I don't know how to get closer. I don't know how to. Wait. So when I poke and prod around that as a pastor, I often find out uh, that the reason why they don't feel like God is close is not necessarily because they don't believe he's close, because they don't know how to grow closer to him. It's not about like whether or not he's in the general vicinity, whether we believe, like we believe he's everywhere. We believe we interact with him all the time. Like we believe that but we don't know how to actually follow Jesus. Like, we don't know what to do. Like, we, we know what to believe a lot of times, but we don't know actually what to do. And so for us as a church, um, what we've often, uh, often sought out to do is, is help you pursue Jesus. We just want to be the, the ones helping you pursue Christ. Like that, that, that's a lot of, your, a lot of you are, are hoping to do that, thinking through how to do that engaging in that activity. So us as a church is just to serve as a guide to help you move there. 
um, and help you consider that. So um, it's important for us to consider that together as we move through that. So for us as a church, everything that we do is informed by the story of the Bible. And the story is this, that Jesus, uh, that God creates the world and he creates it. All right, sweet. All right, cool. All right, so, so I'm going to do, do that often. I do that a lot, right? I just said, when God creates the world, God creates it good, right? God creates it good. He does not create the world bad. He doesn't create the world bad. But he, in Genesis 1 and 2, when he creates the world, he creates it to be good. In fact, he actually says at one point he created it to be very good. But we know that the story doesn't end there, that, that sin in Genesis 3, sin breaks everything. But God creates everything, but sin breaks everything. And so it really, sin breaks us in three major ways. It breaks us personally, where our identity is no longer uh, an anchored identity in Christ and the fact that we are created in his image. Our identity is now floating where, where we typically are being informed by multiple things, our work, our kids, our hobbies, our success, our careers. All these different things are now informing who we are and who our, what our identity is in instead of it being in the creator of the universe. And so personally, it breaks us personally. That carries over into breaking our relationships. It broke us personally, broke us relationally, um, where now we move into relationships with heaps of shame and guilt, and we try to hide from people, try to hide from things. Um, instead of working in healthy relationships and understanding how to go back and forth, we're, we're constantly at odds trying to figure out who we are and who the other person is. And then with it not only breaks us personally, it breaks us relationally, but it breaks us culturally, where we begin to interact with the world instead of serving the world and, and working for the flourishing of creation. Really, we look to extract everything that we can out of the world. And so now we're, we're seeing things, we're, we're trying to, whether it's economically or just biologically or whatever, we're trying to use everything that we can rather than serve it and cultivate it so that we can see it flourish underneath all that God has created it to become and participate in the ongoing creation of the world. And so it breaks all of these arenas in our life, um, and really we're sensing, we're, we're, we're all, the Bible says that we're all groaning with this to be fixed, and all groaning with it to be restored. So this is the story we live every single day, whether we believe in God or not. But what, what, we, know is that what we know about this is the story kind of creates this, this, this big climax where, where God uh, announces a restoration plan, and he sends his son, Jesus, to begin that restoration plan. And through the life, death, and resurrection of, of Jesus, we're beginning to see all three arenas that were broken by sin fixed um, as we announce him as Lord, and he begins to change us to look more like him. Um, and so we, we, we understand all that's happening, but the way that he's doing that He's doing, he's ushering in this creation, what the Bible calls a new creation. He's ushering in this new creation through the life and work of the church. And so we see this talked about, Paul talks about this in Ephesians 1, um, where, he, where he announces, uh, he, he talks about this. He says, and he put all things under Jesus' feet. So the he here is God. God put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. It's, it's funny to think about sometimes that the church is really a, a, a part of the fullness of Christ on earth. How cool is that? That we're his body. And so God is using the work of the church to see people's lives change, to see our lives change so that we begin to be restored by the creator of the universe. 
So what sin once broke, God is now repairing back to the way he originally intended it to be. Like that's part of the plan that we're a part of. And so we begin to uh, interact with that, that we know that God is changing lives and we know that we're a part of the restoration of all things. That's why for us, the mission of our church is simply to express what the Bible teaches and the mission of the church um, is this, to, uh, to see lives changed by Christ as we participate with him in the restoration of all things. That's, 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 just the, that's why Community Covenant exists, is to see lives changed by Christ as we participate with him in the restoration of all things. And we, we say it like that because we believe that's simply what the Bible is expressing at that point. We believe that's what the Bible is teaching us that we're a part of, that, 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 that the church doesn't have a mission, but God's mission has a church. And so he's expressing this restoration of all things through the life of the church. And you're like, okay, okay, that's so cool. Who doesn't want to be a part of that, right? Who wouldn't sign up for that this morning? Everybody would do that. We want to be a part of the grand plan from the triune God of the universe to restore all things back to his original intention so that all things are good. Who doesn't want to be a part of that? Okay, what do you do? What do you do? And so for us as a church, when you begin to, to, to think about that, um, Acts chapter 2 is what informs what we do to be a part of the restoration of all things. And so in verse 42, Acts 2 verse 42, um, is, it says this. It says that all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the sharing in the meals and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. And so you, so you read this text and you think, that's a lot. Yep, that's a lot. Okay, who doesn't, I don't want to sign up for that any longer, right? That's a lot. And here's the thing is, a lot of times what churches do is they'll read a text like that and be like, well, we're going to pick three or four things and get really, really good at them. But you know what? That's just like a terrible way to read the, read the Bible, right? It's, it's not what, what we see here is that's what a church does when they see lives changed by Christ. Like They did all of that, and the Lord added to their number day by day. You see the, the, you see the phrase is almost, they devoted and the Lord added. They devoted and the Lord added. And so you see all these things participating in that. And you, and you begin to see how these can begin to be grouped together through different things. And so the way we do this at Community Covenant is we, we group them into three things. We group them into worship, we group them into community, and we group them into mission. Because those are the three things that sin broke, and so God is shaping those three things through the work of the church. And so through this little, we throw, we throw it up on this little graph like this is that when you think discipleship is, discipleship, becoming more like Jesus is the, is the journey between who you were and who you are. Discipleship is the journey from who you were to who you are. When you announce that Jesus is Lord, he's changing you to make you look more like Christ. And he does this through these three elements, through worship, through community, and through mission. So through worship is this idea of pursuing God's heart. You're pursuing God's heart. You see in the text that they devoted themselves to teaching, 
They were praying together. They were, uh, they were attending the temple day by day together. Like, like not only once a week, they were doing it all the time. You know, sign me up, right? We want to be a part of that. You know, just me as the pastor. Okay, cool. Sweet. Like, and you're like, no, that's terrible. It's a terrible idea. Um, no, but it, you see, like, they were attending that there was this pursuit of God's way for their life. They wanted to see that. And then the next piece was community. You see that they, they committed, they devoted themselves to breaking bread together. They met in each other's homes. You can see that they had shared all things in common. They were community. They were engaged in meaningful relationship with each other. But not only that, they, they expressed God's heart through mission because they sold their possessions. They made sure no need was there. They saw numbers added to their fellowship because people were believing in Jesus. Like They saw something taking place in the community. And so for us as a church, as we're stuck in the gap between what God started on the cross and what he finished upon his return, between who we were and who we are now because of Jesus, what he's doing, he's shaping us through worship, community, and mission so that we can look more like Jesus together. And so the way we do that at, at Community Covenant is through three things. Uh, in order to shape worship, we have gatherings. In order to shape community, we have groups. And in order to shape mission, we have serving teams. And when through those things, those, God is using the community of saints to, be, to make us a little bit less of us and a little bit more like Jesus. Are we, are we tracking on that this morning? Okay, so... So really what, it, what we're going to do over the next couple weeks, over the next few weeks, we're going to take one at a time and, and drill down about why we do the things we do in that. Um, and so today is going to be uh, about worship. But, but, but the reason why we do this is because this is us. This is us. When we look at all of these things, this is us. We worship, we belong, and we serve. These are the things a church values in order to see lives changed by Christ. If when we look at Acts 2, 42 through 47, you see that they valued worship, community, and mission in order to see lives changed by Christ. And so for us as a church, we're simply living the story of the Bible because for us, we worship. We're a worshiping church. We are a communing, belonging church. We are a serving, missional church. And when we do these things, God will add to the kingdom through the life and work of Community Covenant. And that's good news for us. That's exciting work. For, for me, I love that. I hope you love that as well. That's going to be a lot of fun as we begin to see God do more and more and more of that uh, in the life of our church. So today, what we hope to do, what we're talking about, is a culture of pursuit. We worship. Our value is worship, and we want to develop a culture inside Community Covenant of pursuing the things that God uh, would have us. And so there's a story in Matthew chapter 4 where Jesus is walking around and he's picking his disciples. Have you ever read this story? Um, where he says, you know what, it's, it's time for him to start his public ministry and he's moving from place to place and he's beginning to change lives. He's beginning to do it. And so he's walking around and he sees these 17 to 18 year old guys working with their dad um, uh, at, while they're fixing nets and preparing to fish. Now here's the thing. When you are a 17 or 18 year old Man, at this point, the only reason why you'd be working in your family trade at that point is because you weren't good enough to continue on to be a disciple of a rabbi. So as Jesus is walking around the, the Sea of Galilee and he sees these men getting ready to fish, they see them working with their dads. They're, they're just, just going on the journey 
and, and continuing on the family trade. And so he goes to the people that weren't good enough to be disciples and says, hey, hey, I want you. I want you. I want you on my team. I want you to be a part of the things that I'm about to do. And you know what they do is that you see them, um, they're working on their, on their nets, uh, getting ready to do the only thing they know what to do. You know, so here's my authentic uh, first century fishing net. It took me forever to find this on Amazon Prime. You know, it just took me forever. Um, but you see them, they're just kind of working on their nets, and they're saying, okay, now, now here's the thing. A fisherman in the first century wasn't a bad job. Like, it was actually a very good job. A lot of them had multiple employees, major business sort of thing going on. Maybe in today's day and age, they're making about fifty to 75000 a year. Like, it's, it's a pretty good kind of blue, blue whitish collar type job in the first century. And so they're participating in their family trade, and they're just enjoying life kind of with their thing. And they're, but the whole time understanding that they're not with the rabbi. And so Jesus comes over to them and says, hey, hey, I want you to follow me. And you know what they do is they, is they the Bible says they drop their nets so that they begin following a, a, the nomadic rabbi and not get paid for it. Who, who's signing up? Right? Who's signing up for that? Nobody. And if you say you are right now, you're lying. You're lying. You shouldn't lie in church, okay? Like, here, they, no, it's crazy because what they're doing is saying, okay, okay, here's all of my security because it's making money for me. Um, here's everything that I'm going to pass on my kids because my kid has to do my trade. That's how it works. Um, here's $80,000 a year that I'm just going to be like, okay, I'm going to drop this so that I can go follow Christ. Here's everything that I know. Here's everything that I feel secure about. Here's everything that I feel like I'm good at, or here's, here's everything. But, 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 but Jesus taps them on the shoulder, and, and they, they drop it all so they begin to go follow Jesus. There's pursuit in that that is unlike any other story we read today. And, you know, a lot of times we're like, oh, yeah, we totally do that. You know, at the end of the day, what we end up doing is just saying, okay, hey, Jesus, we'll follow you, but I'm going to hold my stuff, like, right there as a good plan B. As a good plan B, like that's it. I'm going to do this, right? And so I'm just going to, all right, all my security, all the stuff that you might be asking me to do, I'm going to, I'm just going to like leave that close so in case this doesn't work out because that's what the triune God of the universe always does is lets us down, I'm going to just, I'm going to go back to what I do. And so what he does is he, he they, they drop all of that and they begin to follow Jesus. And what he does, the first thing he does as he gets all of his followers together is they, is they end up on a mountainside. They end up on a mountainside, and he begins to teach them something completely different that they would have never heard before. The first thing he does, the first announcement he makes in the first sermon Jesus has ever given, the first thing he does, he says, he announces this. He goes, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. And you're like, oh, praise God, brother. Praise God. No, that's crazy. That's crazy. The first thing he announces is God blesses those who mourn because they're comforted. God blesses those who are humble. Like, sign, sign me up. Like, I care more about others than myself, right? God cares, blesses those who are hunger, who hunger and thirst for justice. They bless those who are merciful. They bless those who are hearts are pure, blesses those who work for peace, blesses those who are persecuted for doing right. You're like, okay, cool. Praise God. Bless, God blesses me when I'm persecuted. 
no, that's crazy. Sign, so, you know, no one's signing up for that. But yet something deep down in the disciples said there's something worth it. And so we see in the Beatitudes that God has established this brand new value system for a follower of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus in here, these are your values. He says humility. God blesses those who realize that they're empty. He says people want to be like you. When you care, when you're meek, meekness being this thing, this, under, this, this idea that you are now a, instead of a doormat, you're someone who understands that you can serve people regardless of how they treat you. That you don't st- you're not always like about your own rights and puffing your chest up and understanding, oh, everyone's got to be like me or I'm always right. Meekness allows you, even though you're mistreated, to serve them. Justice and mercy, purity and peace. Like God blesses those when, that are persecuted for my sake. So here's what we tend to do. Like, okay, we're going to put, we're going to put like making a hundred grand a year, like number three. You don't see Jesus doing that, do you? Like, we're going to make sure we got perfect kids. We're going to put that one last because that's hard. We're going to, this, this, this mounting level of vacation, we're going to put that right here in number five. You don't see Jesus doing that. For these new followers of Jesus, you see him making an establishment, making a statement, announcing a new reality of values that are unlike the culture. And nobody wants to sign up for it. And we lose sight of that in our week to week as a church, as churches in general. We lose sight of that. We think, oh, yeah, this is so cool. But when in reality, when it started, it was the most confrontational thing to the standard culture that they were living in. And so you see an example of pursuit in these first century uh, followers of Jesus when they're realizing, okay, I got $80,000 and a legacy on the line, but I'm going to drop it so that I can go follow Christ. Oh, that we would have that level of pursuit and passion for the things of God. And so as a church, we want to cultivate and help cultivate this level of worship and this level of pursuit. And this is what Acts 2 says. They, they did certain things to help cultivate that level of pursuit. And they did four things. The first thing they did was they taught. They, they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. You could see in these first followers that they were insatiably hungry to know more about Christ. They would go to the apostles because they wanted, they knew they walked with them and they were with them the whole time. They, they wanted to, they knew they were wired for one way of life, but following the way of Jesus required completely new wiring. And so they'd go to the teaching of the apostles so that they would help understand. And so for us as a church, we have to have an insatiable hunger for the things of God, for the word of God, for him to teach us how do we do life now as a follower of Christ? We're wired and conditioned one way, but yet you're calling us to a completely new way of life. How do we do that? 
And so we have an insatiable hunger for the word of God, for him to teach us, for us to understand. I talked about this last week quickly, but the woman that Jesus meets at the well in John chapter 4, he meets her um, in the middle of the day. Uh, and, and what he says, though, he, says, he tells her that, that God is looking for people to worship him in spirit and in truth. And what he's saying is, he's saying that, that the spirit inflames the heart and the, mind, the, the truth informs our mind. And so if we have an informed mind, it will inflame our hearts. And if we have inflamed hearts, we will have a hunger to have a more informed mind. And when our mind is informed, it will inflame our hearts. And when our hearts are inflamed, it will, and there's just, it goes on and on and on. It is possible to try to follow Jesus but not have any affection for him whatsoever. You, you, can, you can come to church, you can do all the religious things you want to do, but have it never actually hit your passion, your energy, and your emotion. And that's an absence. There's an absence the things of God in that. And so you see these first, they, they wanted to be taught. They wanted to learn. And they didn't apply it to somebody else. How many times you listen to a, a sermon and you're like, I know someone who needs to hear that. And the crowd went wild, right? Because like, you're like, man, that, that stuff, man, my, my kids need to hear that. I'm going to go give them the link when I get home. Oh, man, you know what? My coworker needs to send that. I'm going to drop it on my email, on the bottom of my email so they can see it, maybe click on it. No. They wanted to learn. They were confronted with all the ways that they, didn't, they weren't like Christ. They wanted to be confronted of all the things that separated them from God so that God could close the gap. And we do that when we have a hunger for teaching, when we have a hunger for the word to do its work in our hearts. So they cultivated worship through teaching. They cultivated through prayer. So they devoted themselves to the prayers, through praying together, through praying alone, through praying to in, and interacting with the creator of the universe. For these first followers of Jesus, they were chasing after the creator, not the things that he created. They knew that they were going to get deep, joy and satisfaction the more they pursued the things of God. The more they pursued creator, the more that they pursued what he's like and had a relationship, they talked to him and he talked back and they began to interact with all of that. If, again, if you, if you are like me and you have these moments, you're like, I just don't know if God's close and you realize, okay, he, like he's literally talked to you like he has. You begin to search after the scriptures, but you also have a relationship with him. How many of us have a daily or a weekly discipline where we are actually interacting with the creator of the universe? Like we said, I, like I said a few weeks ago, we call it chair time. Maybe your chair time needs to, needs, what if you got into that type of a rhythm and actually began to pursue the creator and interacting in prayer with him, believing that you could talk to him, believing that he talks back. It's a little weird. Like, I get it. I get it. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, real normal, talking to yourself in the dark of the morning. So cool. I get it. I get it. It's weird. It's start, when you start out, it's a little strange. But you begin to realize that not only does he care about the things you care about, he wants to make you look a little bit more like him. These guys were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to pursuing God and all that he had for them. 
They were, they were devoted not only to teaching, but to prayer, but they were devoted to uh, attendance. Literally, they, they, it said they attended the temple daily. Attended the temple daily. That, like, that's amazing. Who wants to do that? Let's do that together. No, just me, just the pastor. Okay, cool. Attended the temple daily. Like there's an attendant. So there was this, there's this propensity to attend gatherings. Now, for us at Community Covenant, our, our normal is two out of every four. Our families, you guys, you guys attend two out of every four. That's why I repeat a lot, right? Because odds are I'm only hitting half, right? Um, so, but our average is two out of four. You know what that tells me? We're normal. We're normal American families trying to figure out how to do life and still engage with all the things that God would have for us. For, for me, I, my oldest, he, um, he plays football. And, uh, you know, it, it's literally a 10 to 15-hour week commitment. I don't know if we have any football families in here or any youth sports families or whatever. Like, it's literally a 10 to 15-hour week commitment. And it's crazy. Like, is it, it's like 9 o'clock and I'm still at the football field. Praise the Lord. But what we end up doing, and so Jaden had a football, his football practice was supposed to be Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And I knew, um, okay, so youth group is on Wednesday nights. So he's, he's either going to miss every Wednesday night for the next three months. We've got to figure something out. And so what we committed to do was every other week. Okay, hey, he's going to miss every other Wednesday night. And they eventually ended up moving the, the, they, they eventually ended up moving the, uh, the football practice. But, but, but here's what I know about you, and if you're anything like me as just a normal American family, is that you don't got time for that, right? Like you don't have a lot of time. And the things that you do have time for, you're already in fighting with other things. But I do know one thing about you, if you're anything like me as a normal American family, is that you make time for the things that you value. You make time for the things that you value. Now, look, I'm not going to go crazy over recreational sports because like, I, I have got kids, and I love seeing them do well, and I love engaging with that. So you're not going to hear me try to, like, cut it out by its knees to get it out of here. But what I am saying is that we need to value attendance, not because the pastor's saying it on a Sunday. We need to value attendance because that's what they did in the first century. That's what the Bible talks about. And so in order to go to a gathering, what you're doing is you're establishing that Jesus is the center of my life, that I'm not the center of my life. And so the, the attending a gathering is you're establishing less of me, you're announcing to the world, less of me, more of Christ. How many times have you, in your life are you in a room or an environment where you don't know what's coming next? Unless you're watching like a football game or something. How many times in your life you know what's coming next because you either planned it, you either did it. When you come into a gathering, what you're doing is you're allowing the, the worship and the word to wash over you so that you can recenter your life on the triune God of the universe. You're saying less of me more of you. I need to align my heart with your heart, not make you orbit around me. And so I believe that we could be a four out of four uh, church. All right, three out of four, because you need to sleep at least once. I get it, I get it. But I believe that because we can value pursuit. We can develop a culture of pursuit because that's what they talk about in the Bible, and we can do it because the Bible is talking about things that we can do in the spirit and power of and so we pursue that together. And so we cultivate a, 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 a culture of worship and pursuit through teaching, through attendance, through prayer. 
but you know, the last thing they, they talk about is you, you cultivate it through identity. Cultivate it through identity. What, what Acts chapter 2 talks about is that they, they did all of these things with glad and generous hearts. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that like a really, really cool way to put the phrase uh, joy? Like that's, that's simply saying they, they were full of joy. They were full of glad and generous hearts. Like they were living a full life. You know the way to get to the point of joy and fullness of life and glad and generous hearts? is by remembering your identity in Christ. Your identity in Christ is, is that he is good and that he adopted you to be his son and daughter. He created you in his image. So we don't need to have floating identities. We can have anchored identities and understanding that he loves us and we don't even have to earn it. It's so hard for us to wrap our minds around that the creator of the universe loves you. He doesn't just love you, he likes you. And so we have glad and generous hearts. We have fullness of life. We have our, we're reminded about our identity. Um, and, and it simply produces a way of living life that, that allows us an awareness, a thankfulness, a gratitude. Here's what I know is that you right now, as a standard American stats say that you see 3,000 advertisements a day. Because they know you have a floating identity. They know that you might try to get your identity through one of their products, and they're fighting over that. And so through car radios, through TV sets, through your kids' apps on their phones or iPads or wherever they watch, they're fighting over your identity, hoping that you allow their product to identify you. And so we begin to pursue this identity and all these different things. And that's what Romans 1 says. It's in the created things and not in the creator himself. And it leads to a life of futility, a life of emptiness. But this is what Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 3. He mentions this type of pursuit. He mentions this type of identity where he says this. He says, I once thought these things were valuable. He like once thought that, that there was value to these things. Like there's value to your, your career. There's value. I once thought like all of this stuff, there's value to it. Um, but, but, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. He said like I once, I once saw all this stuff as value, but now they're all worthless and, and because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And what's so crazy about this, guys, is that he didn't even do anything for him. He said he'd rather let this be worthless just because he wants to know Christ. I'm going to drop all this stuff because I just want to know him. I want to be with him. And so he says, for his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, and don't let anyone fool you, that word garbage is a swear word in first century. It's a swear word. It says, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. Like, he cared so much about it. He said, this is all garbage in comparison to knowing Christ and being one with him. I don't know about you. I don't know if I care about anything in my life like that. And so he's saying, what net do you need to drop today so that you can understand that counting it all as, as loss for the sake of knowing Christ? Do we have that level of pursuit? Do we have that level of worship? 
He says, I want to cultivate it in you. I want to grow that level of worship in you through teaching, through praying, through your identity in Christ, through attending gatherings together. I want to grow that in you. Because if a church wants to see Jesus change lives, we can't be holding on to things that we think are better than knowing Jesus. This isn't just a tool on the tool belt, guys. This is, this is the way we see the world. This is our life. And so today, what is that for you? What do you need to drop in order to pursue knowing Christ? What are you holding on to that says, okay, I'm just going to put this in my, my back pocket over here just in case all this stuff that I know, because, you know, just th- things tend to fall apart. And you know I don't really trust it yet. I'm just going to hold on to this. That's not what Paul does. He says, I count it all as, as garbage in comparison to knowing Christ. I believe that we can be a church that's known for the way we pursue God and the way we worship. When we do this through all of our gatherings, when you come here, it's I want less of me. I want more of you, God. You are life. I am dead without you. Regardless of what songs, what sermon, whatever, your presence here is establishing, God, you are Lord over my life. That's what we do when we do elder-led prayer. We want to cultivate a culture of prayer. Sometimes I believe we pray because we don't believe it does anything. God's saying, that's not how a church is healthy. We cultivate levels of prayer. We cultivate prayer because we believe that Jesus is the best. Because you want joy, you want fullness of life, you want to then be deeply satisfied in him, counting it all as loss in comparison. When we do that, see a church that worships like never before. We track in this morning.